Hello and welcome to Pullback Reveal with me, Kev Rook, the interview podcast where we talk to funny people to find out what makes them laugh. So we'll speak to comedians, actors, authors, academics, award winners, sports people, you name it, and we'll find out from them what they find funny and how humour and comedy has influenced their work. So it might get serious from time to time, hey? Why not, hey? But at the end of the day, we'll always come back to the funny. So sit back, relax, put your feet up and enjoy this week's episode of Pull Back Reveal. Thank you very much. Hello and welcome to this episode 14 of Pullback Reveal with me, Kev Rook. And today, today's very special guest is Dave Johns. Now, Dave Johns is one of the most respected and loved and funniest stand-up comedians on the British circuit today. It's not just the British circuit, it's played all over the world over the years and uh, we do touch on that a little bit during our conversation as well. But no, Dave is... He's just one of those acts who is loved by every other single performer out there for... I mean, he's, he's friendly. He's bloody. He's a bloody nice guy, and that gets you quite a long way, doesn't it, I guess? A little tip there. Uh, but no, he is he's a lovely guy, really friendly, really warm. He's given a leg up to so many acts over the years. Advice is he's just there for people. You know, he's one of those bloody stalwarts of it who the the circuit wouldn't be half the scene it is today if if people like Dave weren't around and yeah it's been really really influential in some massive stars of comedy today uh, in their careers and and helping them out and giving them a chance and giving them advice it's yeah it's, it's a wonderful story and it sort of exemplifies who Dave Johns is really and why he's so loved on the circuit now add to that and you might wonder why i'm not going with this right from the top but dave johns also was in a little bit of a film a couple of years ago so he's done some acting over the years he started off even when he was younger um doing some acting as well but 60 years old as good as stand-up comedian word gets back to him through whatever source that ken loach is casting for a lead character for a new film and Dave tries his tries his luck basically, chances his arm. And I mean you say and then what happened, you know, the rest was history. Um but no, Dave was picked after some really hard work and a, a ton of auditions, which we hear about as well, picked to play the lead role in the absolutely amazing Ken Loach film, I Daniel Blake. Now I Daniel Blake went global it was massive it won awards all over the world dave then started winning awards all over the world we're we're talking palm door at Cannes. we're talking the big awards you know absolutely amazing and this is a guy who was a bricklayer he's a geordie not to say geordies can't be successful in the movie industry of course not but you know he was a a jobbing stand-up comedian um albeit an absolutely fucking brilliant one so I kind of leave 
talking about that as I did in this introduction until a bit later on, but just because I, I don't think that's Dave's full story, even though it's such a massive, massive thing to happen to him, we're talking about at 60 years of age, but there's a, there's a great message within this episode, and Dave's really open with us, obviously, as he always would be, he's funny as hell, and yeah, there's loads we cover, comedy, acting, life, advice, you you name it, we box it off during this chat. So, look, I have rattled on for far too long here. We need to get over to the man himself and the other me as well. The interviewing... Interviewer? Interviewer me as well. So, as always, sit back, relax, put your feet up and enjoy this marvellous episode of Pullback Reveal with today the absolutely superb and inspiring Dave Johns. Thank you very much. So I am joined now by Dave Johns. Hello, Dave. All right. Good. All right. All right. Not too bad. Thank you, mate. Cheers for chatting to us today. I appreciate that. Taking time out of your schedule. Okay. It's a pleasure, mate. Pleasure. Yeah. Good man. So look, obviously, uh, mega excited to talk to you. And I'm going to... As people know that listen to my podcast, there rarely seems to be a plan to my chats and the way that the conversations go anyway. I'll start with all good intentions of a, a couple of questions written down and then we, we seem to go off on all sorts of tangents. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there's going to be some stuff that we'll talk about that, that people will very much know you for. But um, stand-up comedian, actor, writer, what do you most identify as at the moment? <laughs> Um, well, you know what? I've been a stand-up for 30 years, so I would say I'll always be a stand-up because I love doing stand-up, you know. But it's it's it's. Uh, I used to take the Mickey out of um, out of uh, um, uh, um, a couple of comics who I know have gone on to do act, and I used to say that um, when uh, you can see it's like a light in their eyes that the comedy soul stand-up <laughs> dies. And then the actor comes up, you know, and uh, and um, um, but yeah, I, I would identify as a comic, but I seem to be getting more acting roles these days, which I enjoy as well. So, you, you know, I, I, I'll say I, I, I am where I if I'm on stage, I'm a comic. If I'm standing on a film set, I'm a film actor. And if I'm writing something, I'm a writer, you know, I just try to have as many irons in the fire as you can, really. I think that's the best idea in this game, you know. Yeah, it probably is in uh, yeah any any kind of creative arts, isn't it? Yeah, if you can do more than one thing, then hopefully you can be working most of the time as well. I guess it's the yeah, but the, you know the, the with, plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with me, you know, it never it, 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 it never started out like that. I mean, I I just uh, I mean when I left school, I was a bricklayer, and uh, and uh, I didn't want to be a bricklayer. But my dad is was of that generation that when I left school, he went, you know. And I thought, oh, I'll have a little time off. He went, you're not sitting around lying about in the house all the time. So he got me a, um, an, a, an interview with an apprentice bricklayer. And he goes, you're going there tomorrow morning. And I was going, I don't want to be a bricklayer. And he goes, well, <laughs> I'm going to be a bricklayer till you find something else. And so that was pretty, so it was good fun work on the building site. But I just thought I didn't want to do it all in my life, you know. And basically, I fell into stand-up, really, by ending up going to the comedy store and then opening my own club 
which was uh, which I which I did in sort of 1989 in Newcastle. And that's how I stumbled into it, really. You know, it was all it was all sort of uh, it was like somebody pushed a snowball down the hill and it just kept going and going and going and going. And 30 years later, I'm doing films. It's crazy, really. <laughs> well, I, that sort of, yeah, that that leads me on to that. And we'll 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 get there. Let's take our time getting there, yeah, obviously, cool. and, and talking about some of the stuff that people know you most for. Because I I know it's such a well-trodden route, especially in the interviews with comedians. But I I've done a couple of surveys on online where I've been sort of asking my audience and other people what areas when I'm, you're speaking to comedians do you find most interesting um and it's probably some of the stuff that comedians don't like most talking about it they like number one was like worst gigs and hecklers I was like oh thanks for that I don't want to bring that up with every bloody comedian what what was your worst gig you know it's <laughs> okay the most bizarre gig I ever did the most bizarre gig I ever did was uh, I did a gig on a nuclear submarine uh in Guam and so I've done some pretty weird gigs, but I think that was the the, the, the weirdest one. I did a thing for the um, for the troops, you know, where they do this sort of uh, MCSA, which is sort of like combined service entertainments. And they asked me to go out to Guam um, to do a gig, and uh, so they flew me from uh, London to uh, to 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 Tokyo, and I had a couple of days in Tokyo. And uh, then they flew me on to Guam and I was on a nuclear submarine and it was in the wardroom and with all these um, officers. And basically, when I went in, they were all dressed as women. They all had dresses on. Right. And, and you know when people say, like, a submarine's pretty claustrophobic. It's, it's a lot claustrophobic when you've got all these, like, you know, 25 blokes crammed into this sort of wardroom in the uh, officer's wardroom in the nuclear submarine in the zoo and uh, four dancers and the guitarist. And that was the weirdest gig I ever did. And that was a struggle. And they said to me, oh, if you could just do 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) At the most inappropriate venues for comedy or setups for comedy. (laughs) They always want you to do fucking ages as well, don't they? It's amazing. It's like I did a gig, like, like this guy booked me once. I was, uh, and he saw me at the comedy store. He goes, oh, I think you're brilliant. He goes, he goes would you do my uh, gig for um, uh, my my firm? Like, And I went, yeah, what, what, what is it? And he goes, he goes, oh, it's in a Chinese restaurant in the afternoon. And basically it wasn't, basically what what, what it was is he's got this room and, 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 and it was like these waiters going around serving like the food. And I was basically just this bloke standing with a microphone talking and he goes, he goes, and afterwards he goes, he goes, oh, it wasn't as good as the comedy store. And I went, well, no, it wouldn't be. That's 400 people in a purpose-built club late, late, late at night. You know, I, I think sometimes people think, you know, stand-up to me is like an orchid, you know. It never, it, it doesn't survive in every single environment because you have to have people engaged and listening to you. When I did this gig in Guam, like, it was, I, I thought, I thought, this is just going to be impossible. And I was... Sort of like, and it was really, really struggling for the first 10 minutes. And then this guy says, he goes, yeah, he goes, is this just a holiday for you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I went to my travel agent and I said, uh, have, you, have you got a week of me dying on me arse in Guam? Yeah, it's like one of those red letter days. You yeah, can be a comedian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so what happened was I just ditched the material. And once I started, because basically what it was is they all knew each other. And they're all in dresses. And they're all just sort of, ganging up on me and the thing about being a comic when you're on stage if you've got larry crowd 
your your actual kudos and your sort of like gravitas comes from you being in a comedy club in your environment on the stage. You've got the mic, but when you're in their environment and they're in their in their all mates, and they probably just thought it was like poking a stick, and I, and I so so I had to like. And the only thing that was my saving grace was the captain was a Geordie. And so I just started taking the piss out of giving a Geordie and a submarine, you know, and uh, and sort of, you know, and just did that. And then and then all they were interested in was, and then the dancers got up and did some dancing. And it was this tiny little sort of like, it was bizarre. It was bizarre. I mean, if you saw it in a film, you'd go, nah, that never happened, you know. And then the two singers got up and sang some songs. It was, it was, it was, it was insane. Insane, but that's me weirdest gig I've ever had, you know. Yeah, definitely. I it, sort of be self-indulgent for a moment. I was doing. I asked to do some charity event, like introducing some bands, and it was for a, a mental, like mental health kind of uh, event that was going on um, in Stoke-on-Trent, and I sort of um, agreed to to do it because it's it sounds you know, old music and you know mental health yeah it's sort of a, a cause that we can all get behind and and that kind of thing um and then like realized pretty much when i got there that it was like this outdoor fit like outdoor stage just in the the shopping street um and it was only that you know one of those things that, oh how long is this on for by the way and it was on for about three or four hours all afternoon oh dear. um and then they were just like a band would finish and i was like oh right yeah. who, who am i introducing next and they're like oh yes yeah, about half an hour till the next band so if you could just yeah, well, sure. <laughs> so what are you on a saturday afternoon with groups of uh not to diss the people at stoke on trent but some of their finest were out on the streets that day to uh shout we, abuse well, at it, me because what i think like what i said to you before is that your 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 sort of authority comes from you've been in a theatre, you've been on stage, lights on you. And when you're in, in a street at a gig like that and you've got loads of people just walking past, it's very, very difficult to hold their attention, and especially when they just get, oh, how can you do half an hour? I mean, and they're the worst type of gigs because sometimes you find that stand-up and music don't mix at all because they're two different sort of, like, you know, you've got people who want to just see the bands. And, and it's very difficult if you're on stage and you're comparing and you start taking the piss out of somebody in the street you know just go hey mate, hey, 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 mate I haven't paid to have this I'll just come yeah. the face you know <laughs> I mean, I if, I, if I didn't have had a microphone I'd have been arrested probably for <laughs> well, well, well it's a point in question I used to have a club up in Newcastle I remember we um, um, that, that I was one sort of um, I used to do a Friday and Saturday night this was in the 90s and I got a phone call from um, um, from off the curb, and this was years ago. And they said, "Oh, look!" They said, "You got anybody in your club tonight? Because we need somebody this afternoon at Durham, um, your, your university. It's a, it's um, they, 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 they've had like a some weird open dating, and they want a comic. And they, and they said, in and back then it was something like they were paying four hundred quid in the nineties, and that was quite a good." pay and I went no I, I said I don't want to do it and one of the kids who was on who had just started off I think he was doing a, a 10 10 20 a, a 10 50 minute spot for me he goes he goes he goes I'll oh, tell him I'll do it so I said so I said oh there's a kid he'll do it so <laughs> that's how they spoke to him and I said mate this is going to be a nightmare this you know and, you, and he was opening for me so he goes so so it was a Friday night so on the Saturday he went away to do it when he came in on the Saturday night, he was ashen faced. It was a nightmare. I said, "Really?" He said, "He said, he 
do 45 minutes in the afternoon. He says, well, when I got there, there was a big crush barrier up in front of the stage where they'd had bands. He says, the whole, the whole, the whole, the whole stage was soaked. And I said to the guy, what's that? And he goes, oh, and we've had a beer drinking contest. So there's all these young students in this room, absolutely pissed out the heads. And he goes, and he goes, and the guy's going to pay him cash. He goes, right, you go. He goes, I've got some comedy for you. So I can't even remember who the comic was. The comic goes on. And he goes, he goes, I went on. He goes, he goes, I only lasted 10 minutes. He goes, I had these high power water pistols. And he says, and I couldn't do anything. So I came off and the broke guns. You're not getting paid unless you go back on and do the 45 minutes. <laughs> he says, and the bloke was sending, he goes, but I'm soaking. I'm soaking. And he goes, so he's trying to go on doing jokes and they're squirting pistols at him. And I said, y- you know, mate, at that like all you were there was the again them poking sticks at you, and you were just the sort of like the jester. And you just so he said, he said, he said I lasted about thirty minutes. He says, and he gave us half the money. He says, but I was soaking, and I was, <laughs> and that was my experience. Going, this is going to be a nightmare. But when you're young, it's always I think you something see comics and they'll go, no, no, I'll get this audience. I'll get this audience. I've seen it loads of times where the audience. Yeah unbearable and some comics who start off will go no 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 I'll be able to get them I'll be able to get them (laughs) go on and miss you know what I mean well there's so much to it isn't there and I think that's what isn't quite appreciated by audience members sometimes is that you that orchid analogy is, is quite good isn't it because it's kind of the conditions need to be they need to be right you know the shape of a room sometimes can put a gig yeah. out the audio quality the mic not working the light you know yeah. when you turn up somewhere and it's like full light like you've turned your living room light on you know there's no spotlight all of these bits add to like well, you it, would say it yeah this is dark and stuff like that and what it exactly. is exactly yeah I'm, i mean i've had just well you know if you're funny you're funny and you go yeah but if you're doing a show it has to be a show in in you know in the early in 90s they would put like you know gigs on it they're sort of like um, it's sort of, you know, it's sort of like in, in sort of nightclubs and you'd be standing at the DJ's box with a really short lead trying to do stand-up to people on in the middle of the dance floor just go and they're shouting, put the stranglers back on, put the stranglers back on <laughs> and you're having to do jokes, it's insane, it's insane, you know. I'm having Vietnam-style flashbacks now to another, no, <laughs> another one up your part of the world part of the world I, put, I can't remember exactly where it was I think my mind's blanked that out but it was basically a rugby club gig um, no stage no special so they had full lights on in this rugby club bar you stood yeah. on the floor they've, put, they've tried to put a few rows of chairs up but like you said similar to that submarine gig it was just you were gigging to a bunch of mates well they're yeah. all just showing up showing off to each other and wanting to go oh we'll show this this dickhead what funny is um, and I think the, the other the other act on was a local guy, and all he did was talk about the local butcher or something like that. So he absolutely bloody stormed it because he's like one of their mates. And then I go on trying to be all fucking southerner and whatever, yeah. <laughs> and they're not having a moment of it. I know. It, it was somebody tried to book me for the wedding and I go and I said, look, I says just keep your money. They went, oh why why? They goes, I can afford you. I'll give you a thousand quid. I go mate. I go 
you don't want your weddings because it will be a nightmare. Because what you'll do is you'll, you, people go to pay to go to a comedy club. And if you just turn up at a wedding and there's all sorts of different people and, and you're bound to offend somebody and somebody's not going to like it, they're all going to be pissed. I said, just put a band on. And that's the thing, you see, because when a band plays, they don't have to have any immediate... For, for, as you know, for stand-up to work, you've got to have an audience who are complicit with you and you've got to have an audience who are giving you their attention. And if you've got indifference in the room, it doesn't matter which comic you are, Eddie Izzard or whoever you are, Mickey Flanagan, if, if there's indifference in the room and they're not listening to you, then you've had it, you know? And and, and so it doesn't always work. And that's why I say it's like an orchid, you know? And it's, it, it is because it doesn't always flourish in 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 some surroundings and some it, it, it's I know for a fact if those guys had been at the comedy store those sailors dressed as women I'd have ripped the you know their arsehole into them and they would have been in my place and they wouldn't have been as so so but because I was in their environment <laughs> it was just so so I just had to let them take the piss out of us and I just took the piss out of them I mean I did it but it was a but but it was a nightmare gig you know. Yeah, definitely, man. How do you? So you're still gigging at the moment, aren't you? Despite all the acting and everything else that you're doing. Yeah, I'm doing a tour at the moment. Basically, what I've done now is I'm in a really, I, I, I'm in a very fortunate position now. So after, um, you know, thirty years of being on the stand-up scene, that I can basically do the clubs that I like, you know, and that's quite nice that I don't have to sort of like chase gigs all over the place. So the clubs that I play clubs that I like doing like I'll do the stand in in Edinburgh and Newcastle and Glasgow and I'll do the glee clubs and I'll do like you know sometimes there's a few nice gigs around the place guys will phone up and I'll go and do um you know like you know nice rooms and I'll do a few festivals and stuff you know so I just keep my hand in there and then I do sort of you know I'm I've got an autumn tour which I'm but but it's um it starts at the end of August and it goes through to the end of December, but I'm only doing um, um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so I'm keeping all my week, week, week. Nice. Yeah. Because the way with the filament coming in, I can't just take a whole three months off, you know? And, you know, I'm just playing, like, little art centres. I'm only playing two, three hundred seater venues, but I can do that, you know? And that's enough, you know what I mean? You know, it's, 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 uh, I'm doing whole truck, and I'm doing... Um, theatre by the lake in Keswick, you know, and I'm doing, you know, so I'm going up to the borders and I'm going down sort of like the um, the south coast. I'm doing Yorkshire. Um, I'm doing Barnsley and Blackburn and stuff like that. You know, just little two, three hundred seater venues, which are good fun, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's probably if you, you know, if, if that fulfills your sort of ego is the wrong word to use but sort of and ambition probably is the wrong word to use as well but i yeah i i would see that as the ideal really if you can sort of start to pick your venues a bit more choose what gigs you you know be selective with your gigs that you're playing the nice ones the ones that you know you're going to enjoy and and yeah doing that size of of tour as well is it's still intimate enough but still a big enough crowd to get the buzz from it as well yeah, and, and also you can make an all right living from it. And basically what it is as well is, you know, I'm 63 years of age. So the thought of like tearing off, I mean, I mean like, like, like I talk to young comics when they, because I did all the festivals over in Australia years ago and, and I did Montreal and I did all that, you know, and you, and you talk about like the festivals when they're in Australia or, 
up up in Edinburgh now when they say things like, yeah, I, I did six, seven gigs today. And I just go, you're insane. The thought of doing seven gigs in one day is just what? I'd like to do one gig, a nice gig, and then, I'd, and then, and, and, and then do other stuff. Even though I, so, I love doing stand-up, but running around doing six and seven gigs to me would just be horrendous. I, I mean, I had one guy put up, he goes, when I, when I was up in Edinburgh, he goes, do you want to do this? Gig for us, he goes. He goes. It's uh, he says. He, 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 he says, I'll get you on early. He says you'll be on at ten to three. <laughs> this morning. I says, Are you kidding, mate? I go. There's no chance of me being. You know, I'll have been in bed by half past ten. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's um. Uh, so you know, I mean, fair play when you're young and you did. You, you know, I used to do all that, but not now. You know, yeah. it's nice to just pick where you play. You know, and 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 I'm very. Fortunate, and that's happened because of the filament, you know, because of being yeah. you know, um, and you know, the circuit now I've heard I'm not, um, when, when I talk to comics, is that that you know, it's quite harder to make a living as a full time comic now than it was when I started off, you know. I mean, I started off in Newcastle, I started the young club, and then I was getting bookings where within the first six months, so I may I've made a living from it, I've never had a proper job, but I know that there's a lot of people who are doing part-time because they've got to have a job because there's not that many gigs now and the people who are making a living from it are working you know every night out here you know and that's yeah yeah it's it's that it's that um i I think that it's sort of a combination of clubs a lot of them it's like the the money hasn't gone up that much (laughs) it's not definitely not in line with inflation over the last 20 years or so um but then there's there's so many there's so many comics isn't there now it's um you know just just look edinburgh is a great example of how year on year it grows and grows and grows there's more people taking shows up there so there's there's just more and more comics or uh, every day there's someone else starting well in 1991 in my club in Newcastle, I was paying 200 quid a gig. Well, and there you go. Yeah, that would be the wage. That would be the fee now. Probably 75% of clubs. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's the fee now. So in all that time, since 1991, you know, and I, and I started off, I had, you know, like like I gave Ross Noble his first gigs when he was 14, 15. He used to come and do my club. I, you know, Eddie Izzard played there, Frank Skinner when I was starting off, Joe Brand, Jack D, Steve Coogan. You know, and they were all on the circuit then, you know what I mean? But I was paying 200 quid then, you know? And now you go and do a gig, and sometimes it's even less, it's 180 quid, you know? And if you're running around all over the country, like, you know, it's a difficult it's difficult to make a living from it, you know? Yeah, most most definitely. And and so many, yeah, to, to get the yeah the breakthrough and to get spotted, or, or not even to get spotted, is it? It's just to get to that point where it's sustainable now. Um you're having to do so many years of doing it all for free anyway, you know, and traveling around out off of your own back. I was bloody traveling from Manchester down to London to do, you know, to get, to get a a 10, a 10, 15 minute spot at a club that might lead to getting paid 30 or 40 quid one day in the future, you know, where back in my day, like, because I compared my club in Newcastle from 89 sort of in the early 90s by the time i'd done a year there i, I, I could go and do gigs and i was getting booked at the comedy store because there wasn't that many comics around and i wasn't that it, it was a, a much faster through through to making a living from it and you know and in i mean there's times in 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 london on a saturday night where i would do six gigs on a saturday night you know and yeah. 
even and that's not even I mean you look if you get a double up in in uh, in London now yeah there's as crazy a thing as it seems to want to do there is obviously something that makes people keep going back you know year after year and uh, yeah keep, even even when you've been on a submarine and and yeah. uh, been been torn a new one you know I think what it is is that you know it's like like you know I always say this and it's true I mean walking on stage no matter like like I did a um, the Newcastle Arena up in up in uh, uh, um, um, last year, and there were seven thousand people in that room, and and you know you walk on stage to that, or you walk on stage to a room with a hundred people in who are up for it. There's nothing better than stand on stage as a comic for me and making in making a room full of people laugh. It's it's by the mad shit you've got in your head, and I think. Audiences really, really enjoy stand-up. You know, it's some people love to laugh, and I, and I think there'll always be need for need for laughter and need for people to go out and see stand-up. During those sort of years of, of starting out, then and starting your own club and and all those bits, what was your sort of ambition at that stage with your comedy? Was it to be like a superstar or just to make a living from it? <laughs> no, I tell you what, it was. I, I used to work. Um, I, I packed in Brickley and I used to work at the Times Yellow Opera House in the fly floor. And I went down to London and I went to the comedy store in 88, I think it was. And I saw Jerry Saravitz and I saw a few uh, in the Rubber Bishops, Bill Bailey and in his double act. And I'd never seen anything like it. And it blew me away, the comedy store. So when I came back, I thought, this is, I can't, this would be so good up in Newcastle. And, and, uh, in the had a, a little sort of room at the side, the bistro, and the, nobody was doing anything. So, so busy. I said, "Can I start a comedy club?" And they said, yeah, "And they said, yeah." No, I had a mate, Mickey Hutton, who's a mate of mine who, who was doing stand up down there. And I said, "I said, look, how do I get some stand up?" So he gave us some numbers. So, so I booked Joe Brand and Jack D uh, <laughs> for, for for my first gig, and they were just breaking through. And they both said, uh, and this was back in sort of '89. They went, uh, "Yeah, well, we want." Um, um, I think it was something like a, um, 100, 150 quid they wanted each or something. And I went, oh, bloody hell. So I basically had to, so I printed the leaflets to myself. And they goes, who's compare? And I went, and I, went well, I don't know. So, so I said, oh, well, I'll compare. And so basically they came up and they did the gig. I, I charged £2.75 um, for um, a ticket. And I got loads of students in. And I've covered, and, and basically, um, uh, we we, uh, we 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 within a three or four weeks. I just booked the acts, and it took off, and it, and it was one of the best clubs in the country. I mean, even comics now today still talk about the Comedy Cafe because it was a really intimate two hundred seater, packed in small tiny stage, and it had such a good atmosphere. And you know, even acts now today, people say to me, "Oh God, I love." Playing a, you know, Alan Davis would say it, it was, or, or Sean Lock or Bill Bailey. They always say, God, that was a great club, that, you know. And so I started, I tumbled into it basically, and I just, and I'd always been a bit funny, you know, sort of like, you know, cracking on jokes. And there, there was nowhere up in the Northeast except going into working men's clubs and the horrendous stories I'd heard about working men's clubs. I mean, I talked to working men's clubs, comics, and I said, that's the reason why we sing songs, because we'd go on stage. When they weren't listening to you, you start to sing a song to get their attention. <laughs> so then they'd all be talking. So they go, fly me to them. And they go, oh, 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 he's a nice singer. And so they'd all start listening again. And once you had them, you started doing jokes again. He said, and then you'd lose them again, you know. So, so, that's, so that sounded a nightmare to me. So I'd basically just started my own club. 
and I, and I got the bug for it, you know, and that's how I saw it. But I was never intending to be, you know, a professional stand-up comic. I just thought, well, I'm getting paid for standing on stage making people laugh, you know. And then Ross Noble heard about it. He was at the local college, and he came down and said, oh, I'd like to start doing stand-up. So he was only 14, 15, I think, and his dad used to bring him down. So I, I used to let him go on and do five, ten minutes, and within a couple of years, he was comparing the club for us, you know. And then I'd come down to London and I'd say, and I'd get open spots. And once you did well, you'd go down to London, you'd do one open spot. And if you did well, they'd book you. They'd go, all right, I'll book you. I mean, I got like booked. I, I did one open spot at the um, store, I think. And then I got booked for the whole, yeah. I mean, that's how easy it was back then, you know what I mean? You know, because it was, uh, because, uh, and, you know, I did the job, I, I did the business. But now it's such a hard thing. You have people being on open mic spots for years and years and years and years, you know? And it's because there's so many comics and so it's a, it's a very competitive um, field now, you know? And, uh, and then it got better and I got better and I got more more gigs and I did the store and then I did the junglers and then I started getting other gigs, places, and I went to the festivals in Montreal and, and, and you know, it just seemed to snowball, you know? And I just was happy just going along, you know? And I think that's what I say to young comics. I go, don't worry about you starting off and somebody who started off with you is doing better than you. Like, there's no finite time. It's it's like, you know, the comedy store will always be there and just be the best comic you can. That's the only thing you can do, really, you know. And if it happens, it happens. And it's hard work as well, you know. Some comics put a lot of hard work into it, you know. Hey, people. Hi there. It's me, Kev. Sorry, interrupting the episode, as I like to do. But just uh, this week with another... Thank you, really. We have smashed through the 300 downloads in a week barrier for the first time ever in the last week. And barring one week where the powers that be, the man, is claiming that we didn't release an episode during that week. But I think we did fall just into the last day of the week. Well, never mind. That's for me to sort out and not for you to worry about. Um, growth every single week is up and up and up. Um, the I'll put a little picture of the the graph that I've got online for you if you for all the uh, graph and table fans out there you will enjoy that because it's uh, fantastic no it is just one of those diagonal lines shooting upwards and that's what we're trying to do with this podcast and look I know sometimes we suffer a little bit on the sound on these things but that's down to the way that I'm recording it at the moment it's recorded on my phone you'll hear that I am in my car at the moment on my way to work in the morning and that's the way I have to do things currently you know I've got is my x-factor sub story but i've got a wife and i've got two children um and a full-time job you know so it's one of those where we have to squeeze bits in but the great thing about the skype even though on occasion we obviously give up a little bit to the sound quality and uh not to blame my guests but a lot of that time you know i can be set up absolutely perfectly in a quiet room with fantastic signals everything checked ready to go and then the guest at the other end has got really poor sound quality or their internet connection's not so good. And it, it obviously just throws a spanner in the works of the whole thing. And, and sort of with my very limited editing skills, I have to try and fix it afterwards, which you'll see um, I'm getting better at. But yeah, I've still got a lot to learn there as well. Um, but obviously the benefit is that we can speak to people absolutely anywhere in the world at any time. There is no way that we'd have Dave Johns on this episode if we were waiting for me to be sat face to face with him it would be absolutely months away when he was in manchester if i could make it if work and time allowed as well so 
there's always going to be a little bit of that in it but it does have to be said that i have some really really good plans for the future which i'm hoping to get into place nice and quickly which is going to improve the quality we are going to be doing some face-to-face interviews with some people i've got those lined up i've got some sort of field recording stuff with comedy clubs which is really really exciting and i don't want to give too much away about just yet and look maybe even some potential live stuff as well but i just wanted to say an absolutely massive thank you whether you've listened to one episode or you're listening to every single one it's huge for us at the moment the more we grow the more people are going to get to see it the more we can do this end and you know i'm not looking to make a living from it either it's just a hobby and i really enjoy sharing this content and kind of getting to chat to good people and and hopefully putting a really interesting show together for you and and thank you so much for bearing with us during some technical glitches and uh, little difficulties that our uh, novice approach <laughs> means that we kind of suffer from now and again but look the main thing you can do for me at the moment apart from sending me a check for several thousand pounds is just get onto social media at pullback reveal okay twitter facebook that's where we are at the moment we'll probably add to the other stuff at some point in the future but those are the main two for us currently search it out give us a follow give stuff a like but the main thing is to share the content, share the posts, uh, the news about upcoming acts and guests, the news about uh, little snippets and promos that we put out of the shows as well, because sharing is caring. And the more we share, the more people are going to get to see it and the quicker we will grow. I've gone on for long enough there, but thank you very much. Thanks for listening to that. And let's get back to, oh, what a wonderful man. And it only gets better from here as well. The superb dave johns enjoy this thanks everyone like you know how's mickey flanagan got on to where he is from the circuit how is how how, how did jimmy Carr do it how did these people do it in in you know when people like kevin bridges and there's people who have gone on to do live at the apollo there's been lots of comics on there who have never made the leap and it's because you can be a good comic and you can write great gags and you can be good and you can and you can be competent and all that but what it is is with all those acts i mentioned there there is something that makes their audience fall in love with them and that's what it is is they'll watch six acts on live at the apollo and go oh, yeah they were funny they were funny but they won't remember them but when kevin bridges went on there he blew it away and people remembered him when mickey flanagan went on it he blew them away when all and it's that thing it's the audience to keep where you are peter k all all those people who are up there their audiences have fallen in love with them and, and, and you know there's loads of great comics who are great competent comics on the circuit but you cannot break through for 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 some reason and it's not because you're not writing great jokes or you like you know you can storm the comedy store late show as much as you like but if the audience don't fall in love with you and you don't charm them, they won't come and pay money to see you. And all those acts, no matter how, whether you like them or whether you don't, their audiences absolutely adore them. And I think it's like a love affair. And I think that's what I try to say to young comics. You have to have your audience not only think you're funny and go, oh, yeah, he stormed it, but to fall in love with you because that's when they'll come back, you know? And, yeah. that's what, and I think that's what, when they talk about the bollocks, the X factor, I think what, 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 what it is, is some people, when they go on stage, 
the audience fall in love with them. They just go, I like this person. And it even be Frankie Boyle, who can be very, very hard-hitting and acid, but people love him. They, 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 they love him, and that's what it is. It's love. I've seen it with Kevin Bridges. His audience absolutely adore him. Mickey Flanagan goes, I know what my audience are. And he goes, they're all working class geezers and missuses, and they love me. Lee Evans had it. Lee Evans. Yeah. Like, 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 Lee Evans could go on. I love Lee. I have none of what he has. Could sell the most ropiest joke you would ever imagine where you go, there's no way I'm going to say that on stage. But Lee just had a way with it. He, 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 he made it magic. And, and, and that's what it is. It's that thing of making your audience fall in love with you. That is what I think people forget about is, is you can be a great comic, but it's about the love affair with your audience. That's, that, that, that's what I really believe, you know? Uh, and where, where do you think that comes from? Is that like a, is that based in relatability or, or, or is it just something you've got? <laughs> well, well, it's like, you know, when you go to a, I'll see it in film acting, right? In, in film acting, right? If you watch a film, right? And you put Tom Hanks up against Tom Cruise, right? Yeah. Both brilliant at what they do. But for some reason, I reckon you get more people going, oh, I, I really like Tom uh, um, 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 Tom Hanks. He seems to be a really nice bloke. Do you know what I mean? You know? Yeah. And it's got nothing to do with what, you know, you know Tom Cruise is a brilliant film actor. Um, um, Tom Hanks is a brilliant film actor. But there's something about your persona on that comes over that that connects with people and, and, and I, that's the one ingredient i don't think you can fake see i think you can learn to write a joke if you just called your podcast pull back and reveal you know yeah it, yeah it, people can learn to write a competent joke and it's like when you like i know a lot of writers who write for tv they're brilliant at writing jokes but they couldn't stand on stage and tell the joke for a for uh, for a living because they don't have that relate that that um people can't relate to them and that's the thing that you can't fake that's the thing that you can't learn is people just like you it's like you know when you go to a party and you and you're talking to loads of people and you go back and you and you go to your partner and you go oh i really like them um, brian who i met he's a really cool. you know some people you just get on with you know what i mean yeah that's what happens i think in a theater some comics can come and go and you go oh yeah he was funny he's funny then one comic people just go and it's just, it's, it's just them. It just comes out of them. And I think, and I think the analogy of, like, you know, if you see, like, Tom Hanks just looks like a really nice bloke. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Where I think Tom Cruise would get on your fucking tits. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and I've got nothing to say that was horrible about Tom Cruise. I'm, I'm sure he's probably a nice. But but it's just something about where, where if, if you if you put like like you know. Who would you like to go for a pint with? Who would you like it? It's that sort of thing. And I think it's that likability that you can't fake. And I think that's how people be, be because the audience can see through fakeness. For a little while, you'll you'll baffle them and you'll have smoke and mirrors and and then but all of a sudden, if you're not genuine and you're not real, I think I think they, they see right through that at the end of the day, you know. Yeah, you, you, you. No, I think you, you bang on with that. It's, yeah, whatever it is, relatability or vulnerability at times or something. It, 
yeah, you, you're right. It's um, you do in real life. You just meet some people sometimes, don't you? And it's like a an instant bromance between two guys, isn't yeah. it? You just like you just hit it off so massively. You're like, yeah. oh my, oh my god, this guy's amazing. And yeah, yeah, it's like it, 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 you talk to like like I've talked to Lee Evans's fans, and they absolutely and these are people who don't go to see comedy. They 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 are blokes who do ordinary jobs. The, the wife might be a care assistant, like just ordinary men and women who go out and do their jobs. They don't go to comedy clubs, but Lee Evans gets them out and they go once or twice. I mean, Lee's retired now, but to go to see Lee Evans show, they buy his DVD and they absolutely adore him. And it's because they can relate to him and they fell in love with him. And it's the same with, like I say, with Mickey Flanagan. It's, it's about, I think, and I think some young comics in, 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 in you don't, and you can be hard hitting and you can be. Like, you know, you can be, I'm not saying you have to be nice, you can be a hard-hitting comic, but still, like Frankie Boyle, but they, but they absolutely love him. And, yeah. and I really believe that with a passion. It's it's make your audience fall in love with you. And if you make your audience fall in love with you, then they will come and see you, and they will forgive you, and they will, and, 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 and they'll go on that journey with you. And it doesn't matter how many gigs you blow the arse off if you've got no relatability and they don't love you, then then you then then that's going to make it very difficult for you to get out of the to rise above the the, the firmament, if you like. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know? yeah. No, I, I I get that, man. No, it's, it, I mean, it's, it is so fascinating, isn't it? You know, to guys like us and hopefully other people <laughs> listening as well. And sometimes when I'm having these chats, I do forget completely that i'm making a meant to be making a podcast and just sort of uh really <laughs> self-indulgent go off on those tangents but no i i just find that audience act relationship and like almost the the science of comedy and ever you know it, yeah it is uh it's quite a, a unique art isn't it and I've, well it's very human it's very human to make people yeah. laugh. It's very human emotion it's a very because when you're in a band you see the songs that get people at festivals, sort of like anthems that get the whole crowd singing, you know? They get the whole crowd where they're all sharing an experience, you know? That is the same with the stand-up comic. It's about contacting with your audience and making a relationship. And, and, and I always try to make a relationship with the audience, you know? And, and, and you know, and that's... And so going into the film... It was a completely different departure for me because you, you don't have an audience; you only have the crew. In, in, in the in the film, doesn't come out for a, a year later, and you forget what you've done. You know, you, you've done it for me then, because I was wondering at what point I was going to get my crowbar and sledgehammer out and my size twelves and uh, kick kick down the door to go to, more towards the acting. But we've yeah. we've done it in quite a soft way there, which is and you kind of half answered it there, I guess, but. I'm guessing, and from your performances and acting, and obviously one major role that's been, you know, the the breakthrough as people call it. And and what I was wary of in this conversation today was I didn't want it to kind of be, uh, you know, so Dave, your your life was absolute shit, wasn't it? And you were a loser and a waster. You had, you had nothing. You were eating your own toenails to survive, weren't you, Dave? And then you you got this lucky break from nowhere. You know, I didn't want it to. No. to be one of those but i i guess part of what we've been talking about of relatability vulnerability yeah. are all words that have been used to describe your acting career now and i guess part of why 
directors, producers and audiences are enjoying so much of what you do. So how, how have you been able to transfer that from the comedy stage to the stage, in, in well, effect? Well, the thing is, I, I mean, with I, Daniel Blake, I mean, you know, I, I got I, I, I did a play, some plays up in Edinburgh with comics in, two, in, in 2003 and four. We did uh, 12 Angry Men, you know. And uh, with all comics, with Bill Bailey and it up at the Pleasance, uh, sorry, at, at the Assembly Rooms in Edinburgh in 2003. And it was a massive hit. And the producer from that, I was at home in 2016 and the circuit was imploding and I was running around all over the place. And basically, he said, oh, I've heard there's a casting thing come out for a Geordie and it's about your age. He goes, why don't you get in touch with the um, their casting director? So I sent a, a text to the casting director and I said, in, in, when I, Daniel Blake, won the BAFTA, um, she said to me, I've still got the text you sent us. In, in, in she says, because it was brilliant. She says, and I read it out and it said, Hi, my name's Dave Johns. I'm a 59 uh, year old stand up comic. I hear Ken Loach is looking for a bloke to be in his new film. <laughs> I'd be up for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, Ken thought it was funny, so he called us in. And I think what it was was that, that, you know, I did four. He didn't just give us the part. I had to do four auditions with, like, improvisations with different actresses. And I think what it was was all that groundwork I put in as a stand-up and as an improviser with the comedy store players, I wasn't... I basically went into that audition, and, like, I do all the time. I, I, I very much be me. Do you know what I mean? I think, I, I think I'll be me, and if I get it because I'm me, that's great. If I don't, well, then I, we aren't going to be able to work together. And so I went in and I had a good crack on with Ken. I did the I did, I did the improvisations. I did the casting. I was called back and I was called back. And I was just happy that I was getting to meet Ken Loach. And I yeah. Yeah, so I would get the part. And then, you know, and I'd go in and I'd just gone, and they came and go, Dave, do you mind staying back just for a little bit? And I'd gone, yeah, well, 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 I'm not doing anything, and this is good, and it's just having a lot to do with this. So, so he loved all that, and what he said to, uh, when he was interviewed at Cannes, and people were saying to him, you know, why did you, like, you know, you found your cast, and he said, now I always will remember this, he said, what I knew after I'd auditioned Dave and I'd spent time with him is, and, I, and the reason why I offered him the part is because I knew I would get an honesty from him. And that's what he was looking for in the part. He thinks, and he does like using comics because he says we're very good at communicating with people, you know? And, and, you know, we go into a cold room and we can try and communicate. But he said that he felt he would get an honesty from me. And so I think that's what it was. And when we did the film, I never had, I never thought it was going to do, I just thought, well, I'm making a film with Ken Lush. This is pretty cool. I mean, what a nice little way to end up. That, you know, I did a load of stand-up for 30 years and then I'm in a Ken Loach film. And it'll come on every now and then and people go, oh, you know, Kess, oh, look, the days in the film. And then it just absolutely went through the fucking roof. You know, it won the Palm Door at Cannes, it fucking won the BAFTA. I won Best Newcomer at the age of fucking 60. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I got an over in, in, in the day I won it. I got a, the NHS sent us, it's not word of a lie, the NHS sent us through the post an over-60s bowel cancer testing kit. Oh, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> you know, I won all those... What, a way, what a way to celebrate. <laughs> yeah, 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 testing me bowel... Me, yeah, I've got me award and I'm testing me stools. And <laughs> <laughs> now, 
now put, put your oil in it and then shit in this tube. And, uh, <laughs> and basically, you know, it was amazing how this sort of, uh, it, it just took off, you know. And it was, you know, like it was right place. People always say right place, right time. But I do believe that, you know, that, but what it is is when your chance comes along, because in this business, you're always trying to get seen. You're always trying to get noticed. And it just happened to shine on me. And for some reason, it all came into place. I, I took my chance. And they went, yes, that's the bloke. And they gave me the chance. You know, if it had been made in Manchester, the film, I probably wouldn't have got a look in because he was looking for a Geordie, you know. So so, so once I took that and then, you know, I, um, I, I did it. And it went on and then I've done like Fisherman's Friends and Troutman and I've done I've just finished this film with Alison Steadman. Which I did Blythe Spirit, which is the remake of the uh, um, it, it's an it, it's a um, uh, uh, um, Noel Coward film. Judy Dench is in it, and I, I, I've just got like a um, a small part in it. I just play um, the, the the gardener of the big house, Howard, you know. But but I've just finished the film with, uh, with me and Alison Steadman, which is a love story, and I've just had my first sex on-screen sex scene at the age of six. <laughs> I had, I had an on-screen um, two love scenes with Alison Steadman, which was quite funny. And because basically they they gave us this, and this comes out later on the air. It's called Twenty Three Walks. It's about a bloke in a, in a woman in her sixties who meet on Twenty Three Dog Walks. And uh, I was a bit nervous about it, and sort of Alison's done loads of stuff, you know. And I said, so you know, I had to like, and they gave us this modesty pouch that I had to wear. And she had hers on. We both had our sort of like um, um, dressing gowns on, waiting and are setting up the scene and all the crew. And I was going to the to them. This is really uncomfortable. This pouch I've got on. I guess it's really <laughs> uncomfortable. And we're all laughing. In the costume woman was going, Dave. It's a in industry standard. Everybody uses it, you know. And I says, Well, it's really uncomfortable. She says, Give us a look. She says, And I opened my dressing gown. And she goes, you've got it on back to front, you fucking idiot. <laughs> each ball was hanging out at each side of the thing. And it was like Dumbo's face. It was like, <laughs> the cock was like in the pouch, like a trunk. And then the balls were like Dumbo's ears. Well, everybody just started pissing himself, laughing. So he had to stop filming, man. It was just ridiculous. And I had the pouch on upside down because the big bit's supposed to go at the front, but I had the little bit that goes up your arm. <laughs> when I said, it's like Dumbo's face, then everybody looked at it. Everybody started, <laughs> everybody started pissing themselves laughing. And so, you know, but yeah, but, but it was good. Yes, yeah, so, so, so I've, I've, I've clocked in to love scene so that's so that's it pensioners getting at it that'll be good <laughs> no it, it does sound that if only for the image that we can also have when we're watching it now of uh yeah. is that on the bloopers then is that is that basically you know it's a different kettle of fish doing sort of like filming because it's a collaborative thing where stand up you're on your own you're on stage on your own and so, and it's immediate, you know, you know, when you're doing well, you can change tack. But with filming, you're following a script, uh, you're working with somebody else, you've got all the crew. And it, and it was and it was hard because Ken Loach works with very minimal crew. And so you never really feel as though you're on a big film set. But the second one I did, there was like, 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 you know, there's two of you in this scene and you've got like 35 people, crew standing on the other side of the camera. And if audiences who watched the film could look, if the camera turned around, you'd go, 
how can you be doing a scene so intimate with 30 odd people just monitors and lights and bloody lighting and bloody like you know the camera crew and the bloody sound and in costume and and it's in 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 and and then you've got the producers looking on it on it in a little screen so so you know people are watching you so it's so so it's that's the hard thing that I had to learn because with Ken he only gives you a couple of pages of the script and there's only him and the ca- uh, Robbie the camera the focus puller and then you've got and then you've got the sound but there's only about three of them in three or four of them in the room and then you and Haley doing the scene but when you're on set and something big you've got massive big crew and so that was the hard thing of doing intimate scenes and blocking out all these all these other people around you you know. But but the, but but the good thing about films is if you fuck it up, you can do it again. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and the guess is that uh, you're probably you've, yeah, you I'm sure of the the number of films and stuff that you've done now. But uh, I can imagine that coming from the comedy background, the the temptation and maybe what you have to rein in sometimes is not playing to the people that are there a little bit as well because uh, well, we're, well, we're we're all so desperate for the the attention or the laugh almost. Yeah, but you know the thing is, you, you you can have a laugh with the crew, but when you're there to do a job, you've got to do a job because they're all doing their job. Their job is their their job is to is to make the film. Their job is so so. You know, you do a lot of sitting about, and I mean, the last two films I've done, I've had the lead roles in it, so I'm up all the time. But when you've got but but in 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 Blood Spirit and in in, in Fisherman's Friends, I was I was in the ensemble. So you've got a lot of sitting about before you do your scene. So you could be sitting about for like five hours and then they take you on and they just bring you on set, all the things set up. The director goes, okay, this is the scene. Let, let's run it through once. And, and you've just got to run it through in front of all those people. And then you've just got to do it and you've got to nail it. And you get a couple of shots of it, but, but, but you can't be fucking up all the time. You know what I mean? And so that's yeah, yeah. learning. And that's what Stephen Graham, he, he's a fantastic actor, Stephen Graham. You know Stephen Graham, you know? In yeah. like, uh, Walk Like a Panther, he said to me, like, this is the thing you've got to learn to be able to block out all this. And so that when you're watching a scene, when when you're watching a scene at home, it's just that the, the two people or the three people in the scene and you forget about... So, so you've got to be in the moment, and that's the thing about being in film. It's capturing the moments. That's what you do with a film. You capture moments. And as long as you capture enough great moments and it all edits, I, I mean, it all edits together and the editor is a very important person in the film in the pace of the film that that moves the story along, then you all do your jobs. But as an actor, you're, you're basically there to just go on set, do the scene, and then everybody else is doing there. You know, you've got lighting, you've got sound, you've got everybody else. You've got just before you're doing that, you've got oh, hang on a minute, we've got a bit of problem with the sound, and you've got somebody fiddling with your costume while they do the mic, and then you've got the makeup coming on and touching up your hair or your or your makeup, and it's and then and then you go back into the scene. So that's the technical things that you have to learn about filmmaking, which I so 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 after I Daniel Blake, I was. I, I, I didn't know any of that, so I was just going along with Ken Loach. I was very lucky that Ken Loach was my first director. But when I went on to commercial films, everybody expects you to know all this. So, right. so, so you become like a bit of an open spot that you have to start all over again by just learning, by watching and listening. But what I do is I just ask, because I think what it is, is because I'm 60-odd years of age, the great thing about getting old is 
peer pressure and looking like an idiot doesn't fucking matter to you because my daughter thinks I'm an idiot anyway, you know? Right. So I'd say <laughs> things like, when they'd say to me, I'd go, I don't know what that is. And I'd make a joke of it. And they'd go, all right, well, this is this, you know? Where I think if you're a young actor, you go, oh, no, I just want to be cool and make sure I know what I do. But it's about learning the technique. And I've had to learn on the job. And that's been the hardest bit, learning on the job in filmmaking. But each film I make, the better I am at it, you know, and the more comfortable I am at it, you know? Yeah, and it's uh, that it, it it's a, a great journey, isn't it? And it's like I said, I'm making was making a joke about it before. You know, if it's um, it it sounds like and it and it looks like you've kind of all the way through. You know, right from bricklaying to falling into the comedy and the the club stuff, and you know, every, you know, you're really successful on the circuit and much loved. You know, hugely respected stand-up comedian obviously though what maybe helped you a bit was and, and please don't take i don't i'm sure you'll take this in, in the the tone it's intended but of maybe at stand-up never quite sort of making that big big step kind of thing you know into sort of being instantly recognizable by lots and lots of people but then that potentially helped you when it came to going to audition for Ken Loach because maybe he wouldn't have wanted someone, you know, yeah. a face or a name. I think what it is, I think what it is, is you do your own path, you know, you do your own path, you know. I mean, you know, I I, 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 I started off in doing this and I just kept on going. I kept on doing what I was doing. And one of the things I will say to you, say is that there, 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 when, when the circuit was sort of at its, peak and when you had jonglers and you could work every weekend at jonglers and make you know 12 13 1400 quid a weekend and all that even though there were some great shows you did at jonglers it got to a stage where you were doing and and i can say this now where you were doing it because it was easy for the money you know right and, yeah and and it was easy to just yeah, book a load of jonglers gigs in, go have some good fun with your mates during the day, hang out, go and do the gig. And 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 you never really had to stretch yourself, you know? And I think, and, you know, I always went down the road where I still always did the stand and I still always did my little shows. You know, I did Montreal in 2000 over in Canada and I did the festivals and I enjoyed them. But it was, it was, I think I was, my own worst enemy because I never really had that like like I say I didn't get into this to go oh like, like I know comics now who come into this and uh, young comics and they go I want to be as massive as is 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 Jimmy Corn Michael McIntyre and I know how I can do this I can do that I have like a plan I never had a plan I just was so happy that I was doing stand up that, that I was making a living, that I was having fun. I was going to all these festivals. I was doing little plays with the comics up in Edinburgh. I was doing all these different little things, but but it never had that way, you know. I didn't, like, like I went up to Edinburgh every now and then. I didn't go up every year and, and push. And it, 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 it was just, I think it was just me, basically. And I think what happened was, now that I can play my own little gigs is because, I, I, Daniel Blake, has given me a platform where where people will come to see us from that, and will come to see us from Fisherman's Friends. So, 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 so I think that's what it was. I never had that five year plan that a lot of young comics had. I just went along with it, and I think that that made me more, more, um, more, um, 
um, I'm just trying to think of the word. Um, I enjoyed it more because I wasn't trying to strive for something. Do you know what I mean? You know? Well, yeah, there, there definitely is, isn't there, a truth in like enjoying the journey and, you know, the sort of the, the and, and, you know, to make sure that you are, because you're right, there's so many comics and, you know, I've been speaking to loads of the guys who are up in Edinburgh at the moment and the amount of pressure that these people are putting on themselves at the moment, you know, and I'm, I'm chatting oh, yeah. to people who are 12 months into comedy. It, it, it's fuck all. You're hardly a comedian after 12 it, months. You know, you, you don't know anything. It, it, it's insane. I, I, I mean, I went up in 2017. I went up to the Pleasants. I, um, um, I got a, um, a producer, uh, David Johnson. He produced us up in Edinburgh. And I went up and I went to the Pleasants Kingdom. And I would turn up at sort of like 7.30 and my show was sold out, 170, 180 pop on, pop on, as he checked. Now, I got lots of publicity because of the film. And so people wanted to come and see, oh, I love Die Daniel Blake. I want to go and see what he's doing is, is, is a stand-up. So I know that if I hadn't had Daniel Blake, I wouldn't have got that sort of audiences in. And that was always the dream that you went to Edinburgh and you could sell out shows. And, you could sell out. and then there's other comics who go up there and they've, plugged away, plugged away, plugged away year after year after year after year. And now they're finding their audience. And it's a great thing about finding your audience, you know, of, of doing that. But I always had, I, I, I didn't want to go up there every year. I found it quite, I find sometimes Edinburgh, even when I went up to do my show that was successful in 2017, I find Edinburgh quite oppressive at times. There's so many comics there and it's so much industry 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 and sort of like people in it just in all the posters it just seems to, to, to me a comedy overload where other comics thrive in that sort of environment you know what i mean you know yeah yeah it definitely suits certain types over over yeah. others yeah i don't think i had that push really in as you know what i mean that, I, that but you know it's nice that I've had a nice journey, you know what I mean? And I've had great shows. I've done some great shows. I've played all over the world. I've, I went out and did stand-up in India for the comedy store. So I was in Mumbai for like the two and a half, three years it was there. I went three times a year there. I've been in China. I've been to Guam. I've been to sort of, you know, um, 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 to Cambodia. I've, I've done Australia, New Zealand. I've been all over doing stand-up and I've done plays, I've done festivals, I've, I've, I've had a nice journey, do you know what I mean, you know, and I've made a living yeah. out of it, um, and now what's happening is with the film, and I've got a new, I've got a new career, which I'm starting, which is quite, and it's really nice for actors when I go on set, actors who I don't, who I don't even know, like, you know, like I had Meryl Streep come up to me at the BAFTAs and go, your film was absolutely brilliant, and I thought you were fantastic in it. When you've got somebody like that saying, and then I saw it, then I saw it at the party afterwards at the La La Land party, and I was at the bar, and she was coming across to the bar, and I was a bit pissed, and I shouted across, <laughs> Meryl, it's all free! And, you know, so, so, you know, when you've got people like that, like, you know, I went on set in Blythe Spirit, and all the actors came up and said, Said to us, "Oh, your film is amazing!" In like these are people who have been doing brilliant, like you know, like like have been actors for years. Film actors, you know, you've got like like, like Nick, Nick, like you know, you get Nick. I mean, the funniest thing was I was in. I mean, this is no word for like. I'm in Cannes Film Festival. I'm at this party and I'm standing there, me dicky boy, 
and I'm standing with 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 uh, with, um, with, uh, with Haley who played uh, um, uh, um, uh, um, the part in Daniel Blake and Donald Sutherland was walking towards me and I went, well, that's Donald Sutherland and he came and he got about four foot, foot from us and he looked at me and he went Dave <laughs> and I went Donald <laughs> <laughs> and it's incredible that somebody like him has seen me in a, do you know what I mean? And, and saw us and came up to me and goes, you two broke my heart. You were marvellous. And you just go, holy fuck. You know what I mean? You know? Yeah, it is. So, so, so it's crazy. So really I've had like, like, you know, and I'm playing 200 seat venues and, 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 you know, for me, that's nice. I can go and do this little tour and, 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 you know, it's, it's, and, you know, I do, like you know, I'll do a show in Newcastle and it'll sell out, and I'll and you know those little and do the stance and so so and do the films and it's it, it I, I, like you know it's just been a nice journey and that's and, and and I've been very lucky to be able to be a stand up for thirty years and make my living from it and that's pretty cool you know what I mean I think you know yeah and and pre- yeah and to tag this on at, at this stage of it for you as well you know fucking. The yeah. icing on the, you know, extra bit of icing on the icing that was already there and everything else as well for you. You never know. You never know when it's going to come. You, yeah. you never know when that thing's going to happen that's going to change your direction and put you some, somewhere else. And it's and it's that and it's that thing of 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 as I said before, um, especially especially for stand up. It's about it's about like you 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 look at Morton and Wise, their legacy, and you know when they first started off, they were getting slagged off all over the place, but they got it, and the audience loved them. Lauren Hardy, the audience loved them. It's about I do believe that is your your career. I I I I believe depends on your audience who who paid to see you falling in love with you. It's like a love affair. <laughs> yeah, most More definitely, dramatic. mate. No, that's a that, that's a beautiful summation. I I, I think, and maybe uh, I, I mean, look, I, I could talk to you all day, mate. You uh, clearly come across, and uh, we've never met before, but you know, as a, a genuinely, you know, top guy and um, great stories, and and so yeah, as I said, you well, know, real real up. real pleasure to chat with you, mate. And uh, it would be You're great to catch up with you again one day as well. Yeah, yeah, you're based in Manchester, is that right? I am, mate. Yeah, I'm going to be doing a a few of these where, I, like, as everyone knows, I record them over the the Skype and over the phone is the way that I do them at the moment because it means that I can chat to anyone absolutely anywhere. So we might suffer a little bit on the uh, sound quality from time to time, but otherwise, you know, I've, I've got a full time job and a four year old and a four month old. There's no way that I'd be travelling all over the country yeah. to. Uh, to be meeting people so it's it's a good way to yeah. catch up but no in, in the uh, not too distant future i'll be doing some of these out and about on the road so it'd be nice to go for a coffee or a oh yeah well, or whatever with you sometime mate and we'll uh, have a chat in person as yeah, well I, I put it on facebook i'm there in manchester when i'm doing gigs down there and come, come and say hi or something it'd be nice to yeah meet you. yeah definitely man i really appreciate that thank you and uh look it's I, I i've said it to a couple of people during this first series but i always mean it really genuinely of um it's 
so, especially with the world being a bit of a shitty place at that. And we did really well. We didn't even talk about politics because I love your tweets and your uh, Facebook comments on uh, certain things and uh, certain Donald Trump and the, the Boris Johnson and stuff. That's uh, entertainment enough that people should be checking you out on there as well. But um, yeah, we'll, maybe we'll save that for next time. But no, in um, yeah, with, with all the shit that's going on, it is really genuinely i don't mean it too cheesily of heartwarming you know to hear of really nice people fucking kicking the backside of it you know and doing well and enjoying it and approaching stuff in the right way and i i think any any younger comics or anyone at all there's it, a good story in your story you know i think that's why people relate to you so much and why people hold you in such high affection as well is you know it's a good guy doing good and and we need a bit more of that at the moment don't we well, yeah, no, I'll go without a doubt. And, you know, if anybody wants to come and see me on my tour, they can get the date from my uh, from from a website, which is DaveJohns.net. If you go Brilliant. on the on, on the tour dates, you'll get all the tour dates and the links to them, and that, you know. I will. I'll shove them on the show notes, mate, and I'll put all your links within the notes of this episode on to the yeah for your social media and everything else so that people can uh, yeah check check you out on there. Um, Believe it or not, there are some people out there that still haven't seen I, Daniel Blake. And if you <laughs> haven't, you bloody need it. I've seen it so many times now. But every time it's uh, you sort of it's one of those films where you spot something a bit different every time, like a little nuance of something or a face someone would pull in that sort of changes the, the scene for you a bit. You know, it's it's, you know, so sort of hard hitting, but delicate. And, you know, with those nuances as well, it's a. Uh, yeah, amazing piece of work, mate. And, uh, yeah, cracking to see you. That's leading to more and more stuff for you as well. Well, actually, you know, Ken Loach and Paul Laverty, who wrote the script, and Ken, who filmed it, you know, his new film, Sorry I Missed You, is coming out in in uh, in uh, November. And that's going to be another tear jerk. I've seen it, and it's another thing about Zero as contract. So, you oh, know. I've, I've read some stuff. That, yeah, that again, that's another one. Not, probably, yeah. yeah, after I, Daniel Blake, that's sort of being talked about as being him. In on absolutely top form again, isn't it? Yeah, we should thank our lucky stars. We've got Ken Loach and Paul Lafferty, who still make films for people who who who, who are overlooked and have got no voice, you know? Yeah, very true, yeah. mate. Yeah. Hey, thank you very much. Yeah, cheers, Dave. Thank you so much, uh, my friend. And as I said, for everyone listening, check out the show notes, all the links there for everything. Um, wish you all the best, mate. And uh, yeah, I'll hook up with you when we can. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. Be safe. Bye, Dave. So there we have it, episode 14 with the absolutely, I'm running out of superlatives because I'm tired and it's rush hour and the uh, traffic's doing my head in, Uh, but (laughs) it's real life guys, this is real life, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you Dave Johns, what a nice guy and what an interesting guy and what an inspiring guy as well, Um, I think I've mentioned this on previous episodes speaking to uh, different comedians actually about sort of how long it takes and where we're at in our careers and and life and those kind of things but you know for me 42 year old guy isn't it bloody inspirational to listen to someone who okay he's been as I made the point really clearly during the episode he weren't treading water guys you know he wasn't doing zero before he was is one of the best stand-up comedians in the UK but to get an absolutely massive break that he didn't see coming a change in direction for him to go out there and do some amazing stuff and Meryl Streep I love Meryl Streep I absolutely adore Meryl Streep it's shouting at her in bars you know it's uh 
an amazing story fantastic and thank you Dave for being so candid and open and honest and all that stuff as I know our guests always are but no thank you in particular Dave for that and I'm going to catch up with him live okay we're going to do some stuff there there's loads coming people you know and like I said I'm not asking for any money at this moment in time there's no Patreon there's no crowdfunder a little bit though if you're listening and you're listening right to the end of this and you like us and you like what what I do and what our guests are doing for us as well drop us an email pullbackreveal at gmail.com pullbackreveal at gmail.com and just let us know give us some nice positive feedback on there also obviously drop us a, a really cool review on apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen that'd be nice as well um but yeah get in touch and it'd be interesting to hear from you if there's any appetite no matter how small the group of you out there might be at the moment for some sort of pbr club fan club or members club or supporters club or you know something where you might want to chip in a quid a month and i think that would be probably all i would ask for but then with some access to some extra content or um free tickets to live shows or or something like that because i've got loads planned there's loads that i want to do with this um i know there's other interview shows out there well established been going a long time and i listen to all of them and absolutely love all the guys and girls that do those shows as well genuinely um i really really do but you know there's different angles there's room within a massive uk comedy circuit for loads of different takes and different voices on stuff and uh yeah i hope that we're coming at it a slightly different way but there's more to come so look thanks so much dave johnson thanks so much to all of you guys for listening um at pullback reveal get onto social media and remember sharing is caring so share the posts invite your friends to join groups that would be amazing thanks so much and there's more to come big episodes coming up big names thank you people enjoy your day bye now pullback reveal is a podcast by me kevrook only made possible by the kind generosity of our guests who give up their time for absolutely nothing at all now if you would like to help us out in any way all you need to do and it's really simple is just go to wherever you listen to your podcast give us a subscribe give us a rate and review if it will let you do so and then get onto social media search at pullback reveal you'll find us on facebook and twitter and give us a follow like our stuff share what we're doing that would really really help at the moment because each and every one of you that does that it just spreads the message a little bit wider and the more listeners we get the bigger and better we can become so thank you very much for listening we'll be back again next week with another wonderful guest and mark my words and in the meantime look out in the midweek for the trailer and the reveal of who our next guest is going to be thanks for your time bye now